The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Our guest today, Travis Shreve, grew up in the Salt Lake City area of Utah, part of a large, supportive Mormon family. Travis studied to become a CPA, married his wife Amy, and the couple looked forward to raising kids of their own. But when their daughter Whitney was born, they realized, even in the hospital, that something wasn't normal. It turned out Whitney and later her son, Vincent, suffered from an inability to digest certain fatty acids critical to development. Both children required feeding tubes, were unable to speak, and had very limited senses of hearing and sight. Despite the attention they required, the family loved and cared for them and grieved when Whitney died at 16 months and Vincent at eight years. Happily, a genetic fix was possible, and the family went on to birth two normal and happy sets of twins. But then in 2021, another potential disaster struck. Travis had not yet been vaccinated when he was struck down by COVID. When he passed out at home, he was rushed to the hospital by ambulance, where a remarkable encounter with the other side was about to take place. Travis, welcome to NDE Radio. Thanks, Lee. Good to be here. Did I summarize your life <laughs> sufficiently? But very, very well. All uh, right. And- the first half of your life, you're, <laughs> you're, you're now 41, so you're only, you're only halfway there. <laughs> um, Travis, it seemed things began to go south in your mind uh, when the doctors decided to intubate you at the hospital. T- tell us, uh, give us the details of what was going on at that moment. Yeah, um, you know, uh, I was affected so so badly by by COVID um, that that morning we had we had called for the ambulance to come and um, and I don't remember much after that. Um, but in, in fact, my my family gives a lot of the details of of how worried they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my father was there at the same time as my wife, and and um, although I don't remember a lot of the initial. Uh, feelings. He told my wife to go home and, and prepare the kids that I was, I was dying. So. Wow. And you felt like you were dying too, I guess you uh, you've said that it made you terribly anxious uh, to, um, to be intubated as I recall. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is understandable. Uh, I mean, anything going down your throat like that is, is, pretty rough. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, circumstances, not, not getting enough air and the drugs, whatever it may be really put my mind in a bad place. I, I understood, I, I knew what a, uh, you know, I knew what it was to be intubated. I knew about the ventilators and uh, particularly with COVID it was, it was maybe a newer concept to me, but I knew it. And yet when I was there, I didn't understand it. And so there was a real uh, not being really aware when they inserted that to, to, to kind of wake up and, and have that was, was uh, terrifying. It was a terrifying thing. 
uh, coupled with a, an inability to breathe was just really scary. Now, it was, it's an interesting uh, story, especially because you go through a dark place to get to a very beautiful place. And um, you, the question is, I guess, whether these are hallucinations, but it, it seems like they were not, that you heard people telling you that they were going to kill you. And, uh, and that certainly wasn't the hospital staff. Right. Um, yeah, there was, there was definitely, there was something there was um, there, there. It really felt like there was a force trying to get me to give up. Um, and whether that was at that point, whether that was my own mind or, or, you know, some, some dark force really um, coming at me, uh, it was there was, there was a power there. And, and while I had those experiences, those specific dark experiences, it was all centered there in the, in the hospital room. And, and it was just terrifying. It was just terrifying anxiety. Uh, and just the way that time moved was, was particularly scary. Mm. There were times in the hospital when I was chaplain that it seemed like there were souls gathered there. And uh, one of the nurses I knew who was pretty clairvoyant said she saw ghosts in the hospital. And uh, it occurred to me that maybe these were like fallen souls. I mean, especially during that time of COVID when there were so many people dying from this disease um, that they might uh, come after you. I think you said at one point that they seemed like um, not like demons or anything, but more like like people who'd been put in a small place and this was giving them some sort of pleasure that they were giggling at the thought of, of taking your soul away. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere within there, I, it's as if I became aware of that. Now uh, I saw these people in the hospital, these, and, and, and they really, it was always against me. It was always negative. Um, for the most part, um, just, just purely negative and, and causing this deep anxiety. And it was almost a separate thing. And I, I, I can't actually recall at what point I saw this, but I, I became aware of that. There are, there are souls that their whole purpose is to trick somebody or to, to put somebody into the, their own, that same position as them. And that they found excitement in that. And, you know, the, what I viewed was that they were just laughing and waiting for, for something to happen. Wow. And even the hospital staff was pretty negative about your chances of survival. They gave you what 5% chance of, of living. Right. Yep. A hospitalist after the fact had, had told us that now hospital staff was, was really great to us, but, but there was uh, as they communicated to my wife, uh, they, there was no promises. There was no, uh, it was weeks into it before they, they gave any kind of positive indication, uh, to my wife. They they were really careful with their language because they, they thought we weren't going to make it. And, and I had, I did have some nurses after the fact come up to me and say, oh, we were so worried about your children. And I said, you weren't worried about me. And they said, (laughs) and one in particular said, we thought we knew what was going to happen to you. Oh, that's brutally honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
your wife Amy prayed, I understand, that that you would see your two deceased children. Correct. She did. She um she she understood how it may be for me. Um COVID protocols kept family from being there in the hospital. And I was I was terribly confused. And because of that, uh because of the horror with that, she that was kind of her hope is that that my two children could could be there with me to to comfort me. Mm-hmm. Uh now elsewhere in my family, they they kind of worried about that. They worried that uh I'd give up. <laughs> there was a real sense that and, and maybe it's my man colds over the years, the way I've reacted to to little things, but but my family really worried that there was a chance that I would give up. Um yeah. Of course you had uh four four little babies at home that uh that you needed to come back to as well. But uh I would think given the amount of time and care that your first two children needed that you had bonded really deeply with them. Uh yeah. I mean it was you know, people people sometimes think that when uh, the, the disabled children are are just totally hard to deal with, um, and that really wasn't the case for us. We we always had somebody to hold. I could I could read a book or or do whatever, watch a show, and I could just hold hold these children. Um, just just always had them close, uh, and they couldn't run away when I when I needed somebody there i could always keep them there and and just enjoy their company so tell us once you pass through this realm of angry souls what what you then witnessed yeah so uh, you know just had this constant darkness constant anxiety and then and then i was just there i was just in a different place uh and and this place was beautiful um, I, I just had, it's as if every bad feeling was just ripped away from me. Every, every, um, anxious feeling, every, and I've always got some anxious feeling, but every anxious feeling, every worry, every impatience was just taken from me and everything was lighter. And I, also I was suddenly not in pain anymore. Uh, and, and that kind of shocked me except that this place, it felt like something had connected. It felt like I was, I was home that that this connection had been bridged and I was home, but this, this place was just, just beautiful. There was, um, it's as if I was just at the very end of a building and this building had I don't even want to say constructed. It, it, it had been made out of pearl, almost formed out of pearl, not not a bunch of little pearls, but the pearl element. And it it just lit up beautifully, but there weren't there weren't lights. It just it's just that things glowed and and there everything was light. And the building opened up to an external landscape, and in that external landscape, it was just just beautiful. There was um, just a landscape that, that ended in a haze that kind of went off into the sky. It, it felt like from that end that we were on an island in the sky. Now, on the other end, it, it's as if the building 
um, tightened up as it as it came closer, as if it was in a tunnel. But but I will say this: it didn't feel. I never never felt as if I was traveling through a tunnel. At least I don't recall anything along those lines. But but the building almost seemed to to turn into a tunnel at the other end. And I think you said it. It opened up uh, similarly to the um, Sydney Opera House in Australia. Right. Yeah. Just. Just a, a wide opening, opening to the the outside with a, just an open face. But yeah, that's the closest thing I could compare it to. <laughs> what did you see uh, outside where where it opened to a view? You know, that's. I wish I could describe that perfectly. I saw there were um, on the ground there was writing, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna give a disclaimer here because this makes it this takes away from it. But there were there were circular designs, um, almost as if you'd see on a basketball court. And now I'm going to take that back, right? Because <laughs> because this was something. There was something beautiful about it. There it was not a basketball court, but I did see circular designs on the ground. Um, but but just on the outside, things were so clean that on on one hand I thought this isn't real, but on the other hand I thought. I've never seen something so real in my life. This is what, this is reality. And I think you compared it to a virtual reality in a way because it was so perfect. Exactly. Yeah. My, you know, my soul, my consciousness couldn't comprehend what it was and, and, and why it was so perfect. Um, I smelled flowers, but I didn't see flowers. I felt this, this wonderful feeling while I was there. Um, and that's, that's kind of how my consciousness explained it. Now, I, I do think there was a reason for that, you know, and I can get into that later. But I, even though I was in this fear, when I was in the hospital, I was in such fear that I was going to die a slow death. Uh, and I was preparing myself for, for that death. As I was here, I hadn't, it's almost as if the possibility of what this place was had been removed from my mind. And so the only explanation was that this was some sort of virtual reality. And yet it felt like home to you too. It did. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I may have this wrong, but I believe in the Mormon tradition, families collect in one place. The Bible, Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many rooms or many mansions that in the Mormon tradition, there is a place where the whole family gets together or you, you have a, you know, I've heard it described as a planet where you have your family. Did you have a feeling about this space like that? Yeah. Now uh, this space didn't, it, it's hard to say, hard to call it a planet. Uh, it, it, but it felt like a little Island in the sky. Yeah. Um, and yet, that was one thing that occurred to me. Um, and, and keep in mind, I didn't, I didn't even consider that this was the spirit world. I didn't consider that this was heaven. And yet the thing that occurred to me was that the connection happened and this is our place. This is where, where we meet, but now, you know, and, and I'll get into this later as well, but the, we was also the question who is, who is we, in this in this situation but but it's very much 
conveyed to me. And, and when these things were conveyed, there was very little conveyed to me, but when they were conveyed to me, it's just, it was as, as if truth had, had just, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but there was no, there was no doubting those few things that were conveyed to me. And was it on this first occasion that you were there that you saw these two, or you, you saw a beautiful woman and, and, and the presence of someone else as well? Yeah. yeah. So I didn't even see the presence of the man. It's, it's, it's hard to explain how I knew that he was there. I knew the presence was there, but I don't, I don't recall necessarily seeing uh, that presence. I did see the woman. I saw this, this just beautiful woman. And I did understand that there was a connection to them. Um, I understood that there was a love and that she loved us. She took care of our family and, and particularly my children. And how did she appear? Did, did, were you there alone at first or was she there from the time you arrived? I was alone at first. I, I remember looking at the place and taking it in, but I also, it feels like I knew somebody was coming mm. and I don't know how long I was there. I just knew that I was happy to be there. I was happy to wait. I was happy. And that's not me. I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a happy to wait person. <laughs> yeah. And yet, yet those, those ideas, it's not, some people say they don't, don't feel time and I didn't necessarily feel a lack of time. Maybe I did, but, but what really strikes me is that I felt there was no, there was no rush. There was nothing other than whatever was going to happen that I needed to worry about. And I, I felt very relaxed and whether I don't really know how long I waited but there was there was time that I was just there alone, breathing it in and feeling it. And there was also time when I expected their arrival, but but then they they did arrive. And did you feel like it was their place? As um, I think at some point she told you that she'd put a lot of work into it. Was that what she meant by that? So I knew that there were a few things I knew that she had put a lot of work into me um, uh-huh. uh, and, and into my healing. And, and that kind of came later. I see. Um, but, but this did, it felt like our place, the place where we meet, it, it wasn't necessarily any other place. And this, I think it's worth pointing out that as beautiful as this was, it didn't feel, it didn't necessarily feel like, this was the highest of high places. It just felt like our place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt like it, it had connected. Now, what she did explain to me was, and, and a lot of this wasn't even explained. It was just as if it was downloaded that this woman cares for my family. She takes care of us. And, and, and I just knew these things. I knew that she had, I, what I did understand was that she put a lot of effort into my children. Um, and so as, as, as this was becoming clear to me, I thought in my mind that I should ask what her name is. And then, and then I kind of stepped back in my thoughts and I said, I know who this is. 
that would be really embarrassing for me to ask that question. I, I know who she is. She's obviously taking care of my kids. And um, when it was explained to me that she had taken care of my kids, it's as if it's as if that memory was downloaded to me. Now, I didn't I didn't see specific memories. I didn't see that, you know, she was there when my kid was in a wagon this day or anything like that. I didn't, I didn't see specific memories, but it, it became part of me that yes, she, she has been there. She's taken care of the kids. Um, and that, that was one of those other things just given to me that was, that was undeniable. So even though in my mind, I didn't, I didn't know her name. I didn't, it, it felt like I didn't remember her name. I, I knew these things about them. And so it just would have, it felt like it would have been really embarrassing to, to ask them their names. And then even this, this man, as I knew his presence was there, uh, I didn't feel an urgency to, to have him come face to face with me. I didn't have an urgency to see his face. Cause I just, this felt so much like our place to come together that I kind of just felt like, Oh, I'll be back. I'll be right back. And how long did it feel like you were there before you had to return to the hospital? Um, you know, that's a tricky question because I felt like I was there about a day. Uh, that first time I felt like I was there about a day. But um, I, the, the, the really weird feeling was coming back into the hospital and knowing that when I really came to that, it had been about a week and a half. Um, and, and yet feeling like I had been gone for months. So I don't, I do not remember months worth of memories or experiences. I, I remember what felt like a day, you know, not a day and a night, just about a day being there. And it was so relaxed um, and just, just a beautiful feeling, a beautiful feeling of love there, but it felt like a day. Do you remember much communication between the two of you? There was, there, um, there was always the downloads and she was very patient with me. And, and this, this all felt very appropriate, you know, but I just, I just watched her. I just admired her beauty and just, just watched her walk around. I, I just, and there was just love flowing from her love flowing from me. Um, and, and I just felt like she was patient with me. She, she allowed me to, to do nothing at all and just kind of soak, soak it in. Um, but there was, there was some communication. I don't, I don't specifically recall her opening her mouth and, and talking as we do, but I do remember her voice. Um, I, I definitely remember her voice and it's, it's one of the most special things that I hold the, of, of all memories. It's, it's one of the most special things to have that voice. Uh, and I can recall that at any time. And it's, it's kind of like my will you know, little kids have their, their blanket. And for me as an adult, that's the, that's the one thing that I, I cling on to is, is hearing that voice. So then you're back in the hospital and, and all the negative feelings return, even to the point of 
wishing that you would die. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I came back, same negative feeling, same, you know, hearing voices of, you know, you're going to die and, uh, and two or three, two out of three chance you're going to die. But, it, you know, and, and there was a greater chance that I was going to die, but these voices were cheering on my death. Um, and so back in the hospital, it was just, once again, it was terrifying. It was, I was experiencing this throbbing pain in my leg. And, and then the, the real panic that I had in the hospital was, was being there and having the ventilator tube in my mouth. Um, because when I was slightly aware, there was rarely anybody in the, in the hospital room. And that's not an indication of the hospital staff. That's more of an indication that this was the peak of COVID and the hospitals were overrun. Um, so nobody, there weren't people there to say, Hey, you're going to be okay. Hey, this is all right. It was, the nurses were running around. They were, they were run ragged, but, um, to have this thing in my mouth and they didn't know, they didn't know that I didn't understand what it was, but I had a little thing. It was the, it was the ventilator, right. And it was a tube down to my lungs and it was breathing for me, but I also had uh, an oxygen mask over that. And I thought, this dang thing is in the way of my oxygen mask. I can't breathe. And, and I, you know, the amount of air that was really filling my lungs was so minimal because my lungs were in such bad shape, but I, I felt like somebody was out to get me in addition to hearing, hearing voices and, and seeing some of these things. Wow. And uh, I understand you were, thrashing around sometimes violently. Yeah. You said something about leaving a uh, uh, deep tissue scars on your face. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a good scar here. It, it looked a little more macho at the time, but it, um, it, it really stretched across my face and it was more just trying to, to um, prop that oxygen mask on my face. It, at one point it fell off. And I, I tried as hard as I could to get it back on, not realizing that there was a machine breathing for me. I was so dependent on that oxygen mask and just didn't really understand. And they had your, uh, your hands tied down too, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. Yeah. But then you were back again in the beautiful place. Yeah. So, you know, peak those thoughts were all through my head again. And I just thought rather than being tortured and killed, I just need to die. And, and there was nothing I could do. I was, my hands were tied down. That was as terrifying as it sounds that I think they understood that, that we can act erratically. And so um, there was nothing that I could do, but I thought I need to die. I need to find a way to die. And I, I fought for it, um, fought, fought to die rather than be tortured and then die. And once again, I found myself in this place. And, and this time there was a little more direct communication. And, and it started slow. You know, once again, there was no pressure. There was no pressure to, to talk quickly. And my mind had 
become totally separated from the hospital. It wasn't even a consideration. There was the initial feeling of, oh, I'm not in pain anymore. And then and then I couldn't even consider the hospital because I was so much focused on just how beautiful this place is. Uh, and, and frankly, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I could even comprehend those same stresses anymore in this place. Um, but I, I saw her again. I walked with her again. There were things communicated to me. And, and this, um, at this point, she, she looked at me uh, and she was very direct with me, very direct and loving. And, and I, I would say this, there was one point where um, she laughed at me <laughs> oh. and it was, it was as if a mother had, you know, as if your child had said something silly, you know, misunderstood a word or something like that but she laughed at me. I think she could see the confusion. She knew that I didn't fully, wasn't fully allowed to comprehend where I was or, or anything along those lines, but she, she laughed at me and I took no offense. I could see the purity in, in her laugh. I could understand that I did something silly, but I didn't, in, if that were to happen here, I'd, I'd be offended. I, you know, I would be very bothered to be laughed at. And yet I just felt the love. I, I saw the laugh, I heard the laugh and I just, I just felt love and I didn't feel a need to get clarity on what I was misunderstanding. But um, we spoke and we spent a lot of time together again. Um, and I don't remember a lot of that, but I do remember spending time and then she, she really talked to me and she, she had to be a little more stern, um, a little more direct, I would say. And she just said, she said, will you, uh, you need, you need to calm down. And, and it came into my mind, oh, I'm in the hospital. I do. I need to calm down. She said, you need to calm down. Everything's going to be okay. Um, that was really important for her to, to tell me. And I don't feel like I went immediately back to the hospital, but, but I felt like those were important words. Um, and then, and then I did, I just, I just felt just a tremendous love there. And the, the way that I explain this is that I've just never felt that love on this, on this earth. I, my wife is so good. She is so kind. She's so patient with me. My kids are so good. I've just felt tremendous love in this earth. And yet I've never felt love like that. It was, it was palpable. It was just a flowing feeling um, throughout my body. Um, and, and that's the thing that really stood out here. But after she said that, I, I found myself back in the hospital again. Not There was some time that passed, and then I was back in the hospital. And there was no, there was still no disconnect from my mind that I was, I was not able to disconnect from the trouble, right? I, I came back to the hospital, and I thought, 
okay, they're still trying to kill me, but she told me to be calm and she told me everything's going to be okay. And I knew that when she told me certain things, I just knew them. And I, at the back of my mind now, and I'm in a more limited brain space back in the hospital, but in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I don't, I don't understand how this is going to work, but, but I know that she's right. And I, I feel some confidence in that. And so there was, there was a little bit of calmness, but, but still looking at nurses and, and I couldn't talk at the time. And I, nurses were struggling to communicate with me. And I, I really took it as apathy at best. And, you know, that some were still just didn't care, but as, as time went on, I, I felt okay. But, but it was dark enough that she needed to come to me one more time. And that last time I didn't, I didn't go anywhere, but she showed me an image. Now, now keep in mind, I, as I met this woman, I was so familiar with her. I, I recognized her. I recognized the feeling and the care and recognized that, that she cared for my family, that as I came back to the hospital, I thought she's such a good neighbor. She's such a good neighbor to, to love my kids and to take care of my kids. And in the midst of my anxiety here in the hospital, I just thought we need to take care, better care of her. She, she has, she's given so much of her adult life to taking care of someone else's kids that I, I just feel guilty. You know, we need to find her a, a, a boyfriend and we need to, you know, we need to make her life a little bit easier. So there were these natural ideas here on earth, but at the same time, I, I was trying to put the pieces together. Who is this neighbor? Where does she live? Um, I was trying to match her here on earth with, with a face um, because that, feeling of familiarity, that feeling that she had been here for the last decade or so really rang true for me. And finally, the darkness kind of crept in again, and I was really feeling down, um, even even had a point where I thought I was dead. The, everything had kind of stopped, and uh, for, for a moment there, I, I thought I was, was dead, and, and she just came to me. Um, I, I wasn't in the place, but she just came to me and she said, um, in fact, I don't even know that I saw her face. I saw the image and I heard her voice and she said, we'll be together again. We will, we will be whole. We'll be together again. And, um, and she showed me a picture of my family and, and I wish I had a perfect view of this picture because she was probably in that picture of, of my family. She, um, but she showed me that image and she said, we'll be, we'll be whole again. And I thought, well, that's sure strange that my neighbor uh, lumps herself so closely with the family that, that she would say that. Um, but the other thing that, that came was, was kind of downloaded to me is that she had to do some sort of inner working to bring me back. 
that she had done these amazing things. Now, as I'm here on earth, and, and this very much happened as I was in the hospital, but, but I do think my consciousness was in a higher state as that was communicated to me, but it very much felt like, um, you know, that she had put this tremendous effort into, into saving my life. And as I was thinking of this after the fact, I thought, oh, she did something real scientific. (laughs) You know, she figured something out. Um, But there was also something miraculous to it. There was this miraculous science that she had done. And that, that of course was my earth explanation for this. But once again, as she explained that to me, I knew, I knew I would be okay. And, and from there, everything improved. Now my hospital stay was rough, but, but I knew from that point that everything would be okay. And just knew that, that this woman had, had really figured something out and she was, she had figured a way out that I would, I would live and that I would see my family again. So you felt like she had personally participated in the, in the healing of your body as well as in the healing of your stress. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Did you think of her as an angel at that point or were you still struggling to figure to remember her name? I was still struggling. I was still struggling to remember her name. Um, and, and, and the hard thing is, is I, I just knew everything she said was true. But but the next couple of weeks in the hospital, well, I was aware in the hospital for about a week and a half after that, or uh, I don't know, about a week or so. But um, as I was in the hospital, I I still was trying to remember who she was. And I, in my mind, I went through every house in the neighborhood and I matched the people who lived in those houses. And I thought, um you know, I'm in this weekend state again. And I thought, I, I don't know who this woman is. And there was this battle of her words were so true. And I know something miraculous happened. And I know that there were answered prayers. I know that all these, these wonderful things happened. And I, I, I just couldn't deny her words, but I started to deny her in my mind because I couldn't match up who she was. I had the face so perfectly in my mind, but I, I couldn't match her up to what I, what I guess I expected here. I thought there's no way anybody outside of this neighborhood could, could put in the time that I felt so clearly that she was putting in. And I, I, I kind of disconnected, you know, I had, I had conversations with my wife about this place and I couldn't, I couldn't clearly communicate it, but, but in my mind at the time, I thought, let's go back. Let's go back to this place. Uh, Cause it felt like that. It felt like this was, this was now a place that, that, you know, we'd be able to go back to. And maybe it was just that the, the sense of time from that point was that I would be right back. You know, I, Hopefully I've got a real long way to go, but, but as far as that concept, maybe it just felt like I would be right back. But I talked about the place and, 
and you know, as, as time went on, I, I just, I kind of had these dark ideas in my head too, and these voices and, and thought, you know what, that, that didn't really happen. This, there was nobody threatening me in the hospital. And, and so my mind, I allowed the idea to creep into my mind that maybe this was a hallucination too. Um, but I, I felt those feelings and, and just knew that what she said was, was so true. Um, and so it was a real struggle. And I, I went through the next few weeks. They, they took me home a little, probably a little prematurely, except that hospital beds were so taken up and I really struggled for the next few weeks to move, to do really basic things. Um, and, and it was just my lungs, right? It was, it was just COVID, but my whole body had, had been affected. And I, you know, used a, a wheelchair to get around. I couldn't even push myself in the wheelchair for a couple of weeks, um, could barely move around. I always needed somebody with me, but after about three weeks went by, I was finally able to, to get up the stairs with oxygen and to do some really basic things. And, and, and I finally had a day where I felt like, okay, my pain and everything was manageable. I'm, I'm going to make it through this. And um, I, I found myself three in the morning or whatever. And I, I don't really remember the exact time, but I did. I emailed my wife at this time. She was asleep, but I wanted to to tell her what thoughts I was having. But I found myself just in the bathroom connected to, to our bedroom and just thinking, just had this overwhelming thought of you almost died and you need to learn a lesson. And, and so I thought, okay, what, what do I need to learn? How do I need to be a better dad? What do I, what do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? You know, is this moved into this idea of what, what do I need to fix in my life? And, and just kind of ran through some things because I really felt this powerful feeling that I, I had something to learn from, from this. And as I went through all these fixes that I could do, you know, those were important, but it, it just wasn't feeling right. And finally it hit me as if I was there again, I saw her face and, and relived some of these memories and even felt those same feelings. And, and at this point it occurred to me that this woman had a real family resemblance. This woman looked like my mother, she looked like my wife, and she had this kind of family resemblance that now, although the face was sitting there so perfectly in my mind throughout this time, it it hit me. It struck me right now at, at this point, and I realized this is it. This is what I was supposed to learn, not not some great lifestyle change. Although, you know, I could lose some pounds and, and, and do some things that, that, you know, keep me out of the hospital. It, it occurred to me, this is, this is what I need to learn, that this, who this woman was. Now, there are, and, and 
if it's not painfully obvious at this point, this woman was, was my daughter. But just to go back onto my daughter, my daughter was born with, with severe, uh, you know, she was severely deformed. When she was first born, it wasn't as apparent, but her, her head began to grow. She had hydrocephalus and she, she had such a tiny body, um, you know, maybe got to, I don't know, 15, 17 pounds by the time that she was 16 months old. And she just, just had a lot of veins in her head. And um, she was deformed enough that she was kind of the subject of, of mocking, you know, we'd walk around a grocery store when we lived in Florida and, and you'd always hear, Oh, look at that baby with the big head. And, and we hear these things and they, and they just hurt. And um, to, to see that, to, to see that Whitney and to see the pain that we perceived was, was tough. Uh, it was, it was really tough to see. And so to see this woman, this 30 year old woman, now Whitney would not naturally have been 30. Whitney would have been naturally about 16 years old, but this, this 30, 30 year old woman was, was my daughter. Um, and to see her in such perfect condition was beautiful. Now, not only was she in perfect condition, she, she had a family resemblance. Now, there's nothing about my family resemblance that I would call perfect, and yet it was. And so there's a real beauty in that to me that, that there was still something important about our genetic view. Our, you know, There was still me, and there was still my wife in this, in this beautiful, seemingly perfect being. So, and it, and it really hit me at that time that maybe my, maybe my brothers, maybe my parents, anybody that, that doubted me, maybe they were right. Um, I really feel like there was a reason why I was not allowed to know who this woman was. I really feel like I was not allowed to, to comprehend what this place was as much as I wanted to die. When I arrived in this place, I couldn't, I couldn't consider that this was heaven or that this was the spirit world. And, and yet I felt the beauty and I understood the beauty and I understood the connection and the truthfulness. Now, um, I want to go back to the man there. I saw, I saw this man there and there was, he was there. I knew he was there. And I don't even know how I, just how I can explain this, except that I sensed that he was there. There was no, I don't recall a shadow or anything along those lines, but um, my Vincent was a little different from Whitney. He he grew to be eight years old and he did have some of the same deformities, but not on as big of a scale. And the thing about Vincent is he grew to be old enough that had I seen Vincent, had I been granted the chance to see Vincent, I might have, I might've understood who he was. <laughs> and as my, as my siblings thought, um, I might have gone in their direction um, to have 
to have children that you miss so badly and then to to um to be in their presence is you know just just amazing just and and I didn't I as I even though I recognized so many beautiful things the the really amazing part came after I thought back and realized that that family connection that those familiar genetic uh views of of my daughter and that that was really special for me and i i really do think there would have been a real pull i think there is anyway uh, a lot of times there's the pull to to be in this, this just beautiful peaceful place but but had i understood who they were um I, I think the pull would have been just so strong, maybe, maybe too strong. That you would have stayed there. Yeah. Right. And, and that's a hard thing to admit uh, uh, because I do, you know, I have these obligations and I just have just a beautiful family. I'm so happy with them and I'm so proud of them, but I think that is the beauty of this place is, is that, some of these cares and some of these, uh, and, and in my case, it was so exaggerated, the anxieties and the worries, it was so huge. And then to be in this place that was the opposite, um, I think it's, it's easy to see that. And, and I think it's just kind of a testament of, of what's out there, of what awaits us in the next life, how beautiful that is. So you think because... Vincent had reached the age of eight that if you'd seen his face, you would have known that these were your children. And that's why he stayed in the shadow. I think so. Uh, I think so. I can't, I can't think of any other reason why I wouldn't have seen his face, but um, you know, Vincent grew to be big enough that I, I see, you know, I'll see another child sleeping and I see, I see Vincent's face. And, you know, had I seen a, 30-year-old version of Vincent, I probably would have recognized that. Now, now Whitney was just so skinny, so tiny, that I don't, I don't think that was necessarily the case at the moment. And even when I saw her, I didn't, I, I don't didn't necessarily recognize her as Whitney. When I really put that picture out there, I recognized her as as family. And that love, that feeling of love confirmed to me who that was. Well, you had taken such care of those kids, you and Amy, that uh, I guess they felt it was the least they could do to restore you to health. On a supernatural level, that's the way families should always work. That's yeah. that's, that's a wonderful, a wonderful thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just also wonderful that, because Amy and I have always felt as if we have, we have had three families. We had Whitney, she passed, we had Vincent, and then we had the twins, but then Vincent passed, and then we had the first twins and the second twins. And so it's always felt like three families, and Amy's always been there, and I've always been there. Uh, and and the it's, it's kind of a horrifying feeling uh, to worry that something may happen to one of us because of that. Nobody else understands though that feeling of three families and yet i really feel like that bridge has been gap uh, that that gap has been bridged because 
I, I just have this understanding that she, she knows her siblings. She's, she's been here. She loves them. Uh, even though, you know, I, I don't have pictures of them together. She had passed before they were born. But she's with them when she wants to be. Yeah. yeah. When you told Amy, was she jealous of this encounter that you'd had? You know, Amy's, Amy's just sweet. She, um, she's just so sweet. And, and she just understood right away. I'm not, I'm not the type of guy who, um, I don't, I just don't talk about these things all the time. And she may think that I, I don't, I don't care or whatever. And, and as I, I sent her that email, uh, you know, I was just in the other room writing her an email. I wrote the email to my mother as I, it was, I was just realizing that I was looking into the eyes of, of somebody who looked just like my mom and just like my wife, you know, just a perfect morph of the two. And I, I felt a real need to send them an email. And so my wife, actually she, what she did is um, she grabbed her journal right then and she showed me her journal and she said, this is the day this is the day that I prayed that you would see our babies. Oh. And, and, and she wrote in the journal, even, even saying, I felt, I felt as if you had seen our babies. And then, you know, the, the next three weeks as you recovered, I was really disappointed that there was nothing, there was nothing for you to say. It was, and in those next three weeks, I was, the, the first week and a half, every night I was waking up seven or eight times just in a panic, uh, just not still not fully able to breathe. And so for her, that was kind of tough to, to say, because she documented it that day. She said, I really feel like they are close to Travis. And then for, you know, it was for her, it was more of an, I told you so. Um <laughs> Not, not that she had told me, but she, she had it there documented that, that she had not only prayed about it, but that, that she had felt that I was, I was going to be all right for that reason, for the reason of, of them being there. Once you figured out these folks were that you visited, did, do you feel that there were um, other long-term benefits or goals in your life now that you you didn't have before? Absolutely. I've put a lot of time into studying the near-death experiences of others. Um, they're special to me. And, and the things that are special, for example, I read one the other day where a man talked about, uh, I think he had talked about seeing, seeing his miscarried son. And he, he remembered that voice and the way he described it, I thought he gets it. He gets it. That's, that's something so special. And um, I, I read these stories and they're special to me. Now I used to think it was cool when somebody would have a near death experience and they could say, Hey, I, I was floating in the hospital room and I saw you go into the next room and, scratch your head with a pen, you know, they, they could verify things. 
Yeah. You know, and somebody says, oh, that, that did happen. Those things were kind of neat to me. But to me now, it's just, there are things to me that feel proven. And, and they feel proven because only somebody who has had those kind of experiences would explain something in the way that they did. So I think there's something special. There's something to look forward to. And and for me, the the real life-changing thing is just a view of others that, um, and, and, you know, I got a rough view of the world, but um, just the idea that people are loved and, and we, we get to make mistakes and we still get to be loved. And there's just something so fantastic that awaits us. Well, Travis, we are out of time. I want to thank you so much for sharing this with, with, uh, with our audience, amazing experiences and very personal. And uh, so it's, it's good of you to be so open about it. And it's going to help a lot of people who've lost children. I know if listeners have any questions, is there some way they could get in touch with you? Or one thing they can do, I will say is to leave comments for you where this show appears on our YouTube channel at NDE radio with Lee Whitting. But if you have some other way they could reach out to you. I could leave an email address in the in the show notes or something okay. along those lines. But I, I would be more than happy to find those comments and just answer back anybody that has questions. And I, I hope that that is a thing. I hope that those who have lost children can find some sort of comfort in knowing that not only are they there, they're still here. Yes. Uh, they're here and they're there. And they're like, are angels in many ways. No? Yeah. <sighs> well, thank you. Thanks again. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 450 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to Talk Zone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio Library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening. <laughs>